enthusiastically. Can't fake that, so glad that this is a warm place. Um, You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a a black hardbound one somewhere somewhere near you. Uh, And I believe that the passage this morning can be found on page 620 and 600. And 21, and I'm just excited uh, about this series. And as I've been talking to just individuals throughout, um, just in our midst, things that are going on in our hearts and the ways that God's using this, so I'm grateful. Uh, this is really going to be kind of a part two from last week where we're talking about gospel renewal. And to set the stage this morning, um, have you ever joined uh, either a TV show? Or a movie in progress, right? I mean, maybe like someone in your family like was sitting down and you kind of got sucked into the story a little bit. Or um, imagine the tragedy, like if you didn't set your DVR uh, and it was your favorite show and you decided instead of missing the whole thing that you were going to join that story in progress. You guys ever had an experience like that? Yeah? Huh? Good, good. That, it's a rhetorical question, but you can feel free. Now, now I love for people to respond. You can respond. Um, yeah, but like there's that sense like when you're in the midst of something that's already in progress. Like did you miss out on something, right? I mean, you're, you're wanting to catch up. Did I, is there a, a key piece of the plot that's missing? Well, I had this experience when I was in Atlanta for the 4th of July. Um, I was gathered with about 50 of my closest friends. Um, you remember the Women's uh, World Cup soccer final on July the 5th? So I was gathered with about 50 of my closest friends. And like we had this really awesome time where we were connecting and just remembering things that God had done in the past and um, just having a meal together. And, and we, we had decided we were going to watch the soccer game, but we were 10 minutes late. And so uh, if you're familiar with what happened in that uh, soccer match, like 10 minutes in, like we turn it on and it's two to zero already. And so like we're picking up our phones and we're trying to scroll down, like what in the world happened? And as we're looking at our phones, like this lady like launches one from midfield and it goes in and it's three to zero and we kind of missed the whole thing, right? I mean, so (laughs) we joined this story that's already in progress and you probably can figure out where I'm going from there. Um, We all this morning are joining a story that's already in progress, right? We're talking about this morning, the story of God and his love and his passion for the city of Jonesboro. And that love and that passion certainly predates us being on the scene. Acts 17 says that God in his sovereignty and his wisdom, like he determines the boundary places that we live in, the cities that we're going to dwell in. And he does that for the reason that people would somehow come to know him and feel their way towards him. So you may think that you're here this morning because this is your hometown and this is where you grew up. You may think that God moved you here maybe for a job. Maybe you are here because of the university or whatever. But the truth, it's deeper than that. You're here this morning because God has determined your boundary lines to be here, to be present in this time and in this place so that you could know God and that you can make him known. That's the truth. We join a story that's already 
in progress. And God has always had a plan for the city of Jonesboro in particular. Like, it it predates us being on the scene. He had a plan for the city of Jonesboro when this land that we stand on this morning was just inhabited by Native American Indians. Had a plan for this city. Right? When this city was incorporated in 1859, he had a plan for this city. He had a plan for this city to grow and to expand with agriculture and logging and the railroads and rice and mosquitoes. Like all of that is in his plan, right? Um, he uses famous people and not famous people. He has a plan for Jonesboro. Jonesboro is the, the birthplace of novelist John Grisham, right? You know him? Writer of The Firm. Other famous people, there are Olympic athletes, professional athletes from Jonesboro. Uh, my personal favorites that I didn't know that I read on the internet this week as I was studying the history of Jonesboro. The voice of Squidward from SpongeBob SquarePants actually got his education right here in Jonesboro. And that's something worth celebrating. God has a plan for the city of Jonesboro. That plan included this church being planted. Chuck Geschwin and Mitch Mayer relocating here, right? That plan extends to today. And it includes everyone in this room to know God and to make him known. So this morning we're going to look at... um, Areas of our city that are simultaneously beautiful and broken at the same time. Jonesboro has some wonderfully endearing qualities, and it also has some real brokenness. And we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually big enough to address every form of brokenness that exists in our city. And that's why we're here, right? If if we don't believe that, then we're wasting our time. But the truth of the matter is... Jesus was crucified on a cross and raised from the dead for more than to make Jonesboro a nice place to raise your family. He died and he was raised to see Jonesboro increasingly reflect the kingdom of God values taking root in people's lives. He died so that the city of Jonesboro would increasingly look like the city to come. And that's what we're going to see in Isaiah 61. We're going to catch a glimpse of that. So if you are in Isaiah 61, would you stand with me? This morning we're going to focus on verses 4 through 6. But for context, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. 
They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flock. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, we catch a glimpse of what you promised to do. We know it's normal in our human limitation to be distracted, to be disoriented. Lots of things vying for our attention. But I pray that by the power of the Spirit that you would help us to see Jesus. That you would help us to encounter him in all of his power and all of his glory that we would catch a glimpse of what you want to do in this city father we know that we can't do that apart from you so i pray that you would send the spirit to open our eyes that you would send the spirit to change our hearts pray that you would change what we see and what we feel and what we do as we live out life in this city pray that you would um, empower me to proclaim this word i need your help You know how weak I feel as I look out at these people that I love so much. I pray that you would help me to serve them well for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, last week we looked at this big picture idea of gospel renewal. We looked at the idea that God is pleased because of Jesus, and that's really what Isaiah 61 is all about. Like, if you fast forward to the New Testament in Luke chapter 4, Jesus makes it very clear that Isaiah 61 is talking about him. Um, But his plan is to work in his people in such a way where they have an experience of good news. It's specifically called a, a message of good news for the poor, that as the people of God kind of encounter this message of good news, that they would be healed themselves, that they would be built up and that they would be strengthened. But it's not just so that they would have a personal relationship with God, which is a wonderful and a beautiful thing. But it's actually as that message begins to take root in their lives, that they would actually begin to see that message go forward in the world and begin to change the way that the world is shaped, right? As the gospel and the good news of Jesus goes deeper into the hearts of Christians, it goes wider in the world. That's what we're looking at this morning as we're looking at verses 4 through 6. We talked about last week that that renewal is God's idea, that it's his passion. And there's no dream that we can have for the city of Jonesboro that is bigger than God's dream, right? God is so committed to seeing renewal happen in our city that he sent his own son into the world to be crucified and raised again so that it would begin to bear fruit in every aspect of life. So let's, let's just begin just to unpack these verses really quickly. It says... Look at verse 4. This is, this is the effect of people that have heard the gospel. 
They shall build up the ancient ruins. Notice that word, build up. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. So God's renovation plan for the world is His people beginning to build up and to raise up and to see the brokenness that exists all around them. And because of their experience of grace and because of their experience of the gospel, to begin to see that renewed. That is not just for a select few, but that's for all of the people that have received the message of Jesus Christ. And then we get a little picture of God's commitment to this. Look at verse 5. It says, Strangers shall tend, shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. So when the original readers of the book of Isaiah came back to their homelands, they would encounter devastation, but they also would encounter people that had actually been living in the land, right? People that were kind of, camped out in the nation of Israel. And what he says is these people are going to come alongside of you and they're going to serve you and they're actually going to help you accomplish what I have called you to do. And that's good news for us this morning. What that means is that God's mission never lacks God's supply, right? God is going to be able to use not just the resources that exist inside the church to help the mission of the church, but he's actually going to move in people's hearts in such a way that as we walk in step with the spirit, as we listen to him, that we're never going to lack what he calls us to do. So that's good news for us. And then it says, this is our call. It says, you will be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. And we talked about this a little bit last week. The calling of priests are to be mediators. They're to be people that represent both God and people. We represent the presence and the healing comfort of God everywhere we go. We represent the good news of the message of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. So as we see Jesus and we're increasingly made like him, everywhere that we go, we're going to represent him. Everywhere that we go, we're going to be able to see his presence and his message go forward in the world. That is the call of the gospel, and that is what the gospel is producing in us. And so this morning, as we begin to look at what gospel renewal looks like on the ground for us personally, as we begin to look at what gospel renewal looks like for us in gospel communities, um, I'm going to give us uh, four pillars for renewal. These are going to be big picture categories that we're going to look at. Um, and, and my goal is not to do an exhaustive teaching on each of these things, but to see these categories begin to spur the way that we think, to spur the way that we talk, and to begin to see the dreams that God has put in your hearts begin to take place in our city as we begin to pursue renewal in the power of Jesus Christ. So these are going to be four pillars for renewal. And the first one that we're going to look at is For renewal to take place, we must recover love as our highest calling, right? This is what renewal looks like on Jonesboro, right? This is what it looks like to raise up the former devastations. It means for the people of God that we recover love as our highest calling. Now, we live in a love 
starved, love-deprived world. People may not be able to articulate it, but their deepest desire is for a love that will satisfy them, for a love that will never leave them, a love that they do not have to hide from or pretend to be, right? The world is longing for love. And any honest evaluation of the people of God, if you looked out and you asked the world for an evaluation, do you think that what we would be known for is our love? Right? God is calling us to recover love as our highest calling. If you interacted with someone in the world and someone that didn't consider themselves a Christian and you asked them what their evaluation of the people of God would be, you would hear words like judgmental, hateful, bigoted, socially regressive, right? We wouldn't be known for our love. Now, Part of that is understandable because we live in a culture that values tolerance. And by tolerance, I mean that you can't disagree with anybody about anything without appearing unloving. But I think if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we have to listen to the critique of the world. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller. He says this. He says, tolerance isn't about not having beliefs. It's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who disagree with you. So what we're talking about when we're talking about recovering love as our highest calling is, is what is the overwhelming response of people as they come in contact with the people of God? Are they most aware of our disagreements with them or are they most aware of our love, right? Now, that may sound like an impossible task and it is apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, But I want you to think back to church history a little bit with me. Think back to the ancient Roman Empire, right? The the early Christians in Rome, they were a group of people that were targeted for extinction, right? I mean, they were fed to the lions for sports. They were lit like human torches uh, just to be at, at parties for the emperor. And you know what they were known for? It wasn't their perseverance, but it was their love. They lived in a culture that was every bit as sexually deviant as our culture. They lived in a world where infants were left outside to be exposed to the elements and left to the the animals to be able to kind of eat them up, right? I mean, this is the the culture that they were in. And the emperor Julian, he wrote a a letter to one of his friends. And he said, I'm trying to see these Christians stamped out. I want to see them eliminated. But everywhere that I go, like they're known for their love for their neighbors. Not only do they take care of their own poor, but they take care of the poor in the city. And so their message grows and their message expands, right? So the, the... Christianity moved from a group of people, 120 people in the upper room, to over half of the Roman Empire. And it wasn't because of their political stance. It was because of their love. So, our question this morning is, what are we most known for? Are we most known for what we're for? The gospel, Jesus, grace, 
right? Are we known for that? Or are we known for what we're against? Are we most known for our political allegiances? Or are we most known for the love and the grace of Jesus Christ? That's what the gospel calls us to do. And for us to be able to see the gospel go forward in Jonesboro, the people of God must recover love as their highest calling. Right? I mean, because apart from love and apart from relationship, I mean, evangelism becomes like almost like you're, you're doing a sales call. Like you just kind of cold call someone on the door, maybe like a vacuum cleaner salesman that's just trying to meet his quota for the day. Before people are ever going to listen to our message, they have to know that we love. And the only way that we can love like that, the only way that we can love extravagantly is to realize that we've been extravagantly loved, right? The fuel of this kind of gospel love comes from us being most aware of the love that God has for us in and through Jesus Christ. So the reason that we spend so much time here as a church rehearsing and remembering God's love for us is so that we can take that love to the world. So we must recover love as our highest calling. I mean, in in the Bible Belt, people often talked about there being a culture war, right? The only culture war that existed was sinful humanity shaking their fist at God. And, and by the way, he won that war by laying down his life on the cross. So the culture is not our enemy. The culture is our mission, right? That's what we want to do. We want to be able to recover love as our highest calling. The second thing that, you know, and I just want you to think about this. Like if Jesus were here this morning, And he is by the power of his spirit. But imagine him being physically present with us. Interrupting our Sunday afternoon, whatever you like to do. I like to take a nap. And he says, hey, instead of that, I got something better for you. I want to take you on a tour around Jonesboro. Where do you think he would go? What kinds of conversations would he have along the way? I think the first one would be he would talk to us about our love. And I think the second thing that he would talk to us about would be the brokenness that exists in our city because of racism, right? We, we talk about this a lot here because I don't think there's a greater opportunity for us in the gospel in 2015 than to see not only an absence of overt racism, which still exists in Jonesboro, but more than that, we need to be a group of people that celebrate, right, and pursue racial diversity. The biggest statement that we can make about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to see this area that has been blighted by racism from the very beginning to begin to see that healed by the power of Jesus Christ. This call to see races reconciled comes from the gospel itself the Great Commission, Matthew 28, it says, I want you to go into the world and I want you to make disciples of all nations. And that word nations literally is ethne. It means peoples. It means I want you to go into every, it's, it's the 
root word that we get for ethnicity. I want you to see every ethnicity come around this good news of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. And I want you to share unity and fellowship with one another. Now, for those of you that are a few years ahead of me, those of you that might be a a generation ahead of me, you've seen major changes take place in the city of Jonesboro, right? You've seen the end of forced segregation. You have seen um, the end of Jim Crow laws where there was supposedly separate but equal, right? Separate water fountains, separate schools, separate restaurants, right? So the end of forced segregation is over, right? But we still live in a very segregated city, right? All you have to do is take a drive around Jonesboro and you will see. The reason I bring attention to that is because that's not only in our past, but it actually sets the trajectory for today, right? Our city is still very segregated. And the truth of the matter is segregated cities come from segregated hearts, right? But the converse is also true, right? If segregated hearts lead to segregated cities, then reconciled hearts lead to reconciled cities, right? This is good news, right? That the same news that reconciles us to God reconciles us to one another. We actually believe that the gospel is big enough to tear down walls of hostility that have existed in human hearts in this city since the very beginning. And we think that there is no better way for us to be a living demonstration of the picture of the reconciling grace of God than for us to celebrate and to pursue racial diversity. And so that means not only do we... (laughs) want to see an absence of overt racism, but we want to live our lives to see a picture of the gospel displayed in the way that we love people that are different than us. We want to see the gospel bring us together. We want to see and pursue racial diversity in our midst. Racial diversity is God's idea, right? He created people from every tribe, every tongue, every language and every nation to be gathered around his throne, giving glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Racial diversity is the the air that people breathe in eternity. And so our goal as a people is to see Jonesboro more and more reflect that reality here. And so that means that it's going to, I mean, I I watched the, the movie Selma and I would encourage all of you to do the same. Um, And I was struck just by the commitment that so many people had to lay down their lives, to peacefully protest injustice that was going on all around the South. People were abused. People lost their lives. And if that happened, right, in the 1960s and civil rights, just to to get to the point where segregation wasn't the norm, like it's going to take that same level of intentionality and commitment by the people of God and by the church to see that go the next step, right? Because Jesus didn't just merely die so that we can merely tolerate one another. Jesus died and laid down his life so that we would be reconciled, so that we would have fellowship, so that we would be joined together because of the message of Jesus Christ.
That's what he calls us to, that and nothing less. Jesus died to bring that. So it's more than just the absence of overt racism, but it means us celebrating diversity, right? That means that God has made each person different. He's made each race and each ethnicity different. And not one, per, one race gets to impose their will on another race, right? And, and to the degree that we do not reflect this truth in our church, we fail to glorify God. His glory is diminished by having a homogeneous church. The more and more that we reflect the reality of heaven, the more and more that we're going to be able to celebrate the good news of the gospel and the more that we're going to be able to demonstrate that to the world. So change happens first in our hearts by realizing that we're all made in the image of God. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said there are no um, integrations of the image of God in people. Right? We want to understand that. We want to pursue that. Change happens in our hearts, but then it begins to happen at our dinner tables, right? It begins to happen with how we spend our time, who we pursue, and that's specifically why we have designed the Crossroads Initiative, because we believe that God is actively asking us to take steps to see racial reconciliation happen in this city. So it happens in our hearts. It happens around our dinner table. And, and sometimes, like, when, when this becomes enough of an issue, it means a change in our address, right? It means that we no longer segregate ourselves. It means that we no longer isolate ourselves. One of my best friends um, from Atlanta, and he really is leading the way on this, the most successful person I know on the planet, bar none, and I know some successful people. He picked up his family because of taking this message seriously. And he moved into the heart of the city of Atlanta, right? And I visited him over the 4th of July. I, I mean, and this is real deal. Looks like a war zone. I mean, there are people strung out on the street corners. And he is there, gave up his house in the suburbs, And he moved into the city and began just providing jobs for people. He began to just love people. He began to serve people. And he's part of a church that that we're all associated with in Acts 29 called Renovation Church. And I tell you what, like the conversations that he's able to have because he changed his address, you wouldn't be able to believe because he's put not only his hope in the message of the gospel, but he's put his life um, in in the demonstration of the gospel and able to see people come to know Jesus. Like, and I know that that's in so many of your hearts. I know that that's what you want to be as a church as well. And so we want to pray. We want to be a group of people that celebrate and pursue racial diversity. Would you pray with me for that? You can respond to that one. Yes, right? I want to pray that God would do something in Jonesboro. The next thing, walking around Jonesboro, Jesus is taking us on a tour. I think he would take us and have a little conversation with us and he would tell us how much children matter to him, right? Jesus was famous 
for his love for children, right? In, in a culture where they were discarded, where they were pushed to the margins, he loved and he cared and he wanted to serve children. He said, that's, that's really what the kingdom of God is like. And so, as a church, as we look at the brokenness of our city and our world, I believe that gospel renewal means for us as a church, laboring for every orphan to find a home, right? It's not just enough, right, to be pro-life, which, like, this is important, right, in light of everything that's come out and Planned Parenthood and all of that this week. This is an aspect of this. But for us to truly be pro-life, we can not only be anti-abortion, but we also must actively labor for every orphan to find a home, right? That's tied into the message of the gospel itself, right? When we understand that we once were lost, we once were alienated, right? Once we were far off from God, but we have been brought near. We've been adopted into the family of God. The more and more we understand that message, the more and more we're going to be able to labor for every orphan to find a home, right? Statistics say that there are 143 million orphans in the world. I believe I read an article this week that there are 44 Hundred children in the state of Arkansas in foster care systems. That's an all-time high. And my only request is that that increasingly becomes something that, not that we are going to get around to one day or something that would be nice for us to be able to address. But, but can we somehow come alongside um, some ministries that exist in this city already um, there is a family's outreach, which actually provides um, adoption resources for people around the world. I mean, that's right here in Jonesboro. It's something that we could come alongside. It's something that we could serve. Um, the ARC ministry meets right here at our church one Friday night a month, and they serve foster families so that they can go out on dates. Like, I just, you know, so many of us, in this room, I think, carry a burden and a passion for this topic in particular. And so um, the more and more we get this message of adoption, being adopted by God's grace, it's going to give us open hearts and open homes, right? We're going to be able to pursue those things um, because of the love that we have received for Jesus Christ. So we want to see and we want to labor for every orphan to find a home. Then I'm going to close with this final one for gospel renewal to take place in our city. It means that we need to actively care for the poor and fight injustice in our city. We want to actively care for the poor and fight injustice in our city. Early on in the Apostle Paul's ministry, he went to Jerusalem to clarify his call. After kind of getting the message straight, the apostle said, the only thing I want you to remember to do is to remember the poor, right? Historically, caring for the poor has not been a governmental function, but it has been the burden and the passion of the church, right? And, and I mean, it's going to take some real prayer. It's going to take some real strategy by the church to begin to be the church once again, to be, be those good news people to the city, and I think this is, this is going to be the hardest thing for us to get our minds around because we're so affluent. We're so removed from poverty. Most of us 
if we're honest, have never had a real need in our lives. I mean, it's going to take the Spirit opening our eyes. But the, the greatest apologetic for caring for the poor is Jesus. Jesus was born poor so that he could be good news to the poor, right? That's exactly what Isaiah 61 said. He set his ministry agenda in Isaiah 61, verse 1. He says, this is specifically good news for the poor, right? It says, not many of you were noble. Not many of you were um, of noble birth Not in your calling. Not many of you were wealthy. Not many of you were wise, right? That, that's the truth. The gospel is specifically good news for the downcast, for the marginalized, and for the oppressed. And so I think for us to be able to begin to see real fruit happen because of the gospel, like it's going to mean getting outside of our own comfortable relationships, and it's going to mean proclaiming good news to the poor. I want to read this from Isaiah 58. It says this. There's a promise associated with this. It says, if you pour out yourself for the hungry, satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom shall be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt." You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorers of streets to dwell in. Right? Jesus is the greatest apologetic for caring for the poor. He became poor so that we would become rich. And how we respond to that, because we have been given everything in and through Jesus, we have Nothing to lose. Scott Souls, who wrote a book called Jesus Outside the Lines, he tells this story. He was doing ministry in inner city New York, and he was outside of a bagel shop, and a homeless woman came up to him and um, asked if he could buy her something to eat. And, um, you know, being a a pastor himself, he decided, yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and buy her something. He said, I'd love to buy you a, a cup of coffee and a bagel. And so she said, instead of a a bagel, uh, could I have some egg salad? And in his mind, he's not going to respond outwardly. He says, why don't I just get you some caviar while we're at it? Right. So he goes in and he buys the egg salad. He said, you know, he said, part of me was just like, yeah, egg salad costs $6. A bagel costs 75 cents. So I wanted to meet this lady where she was. And, and, And to make a long story short, when he came outside and he interacted with this lady, she said, thank you for getting egg salad. I don't want to be difficult, but my teeth, they're rotting and they're falling out and bagels make it very difficult for me to chew and they make my gums bleed. And I, I can only eat soft things like egg salad. And in that moment, he learned a very important lesson. And it's a lesson that I think we all have to learn, right? We have no idea about the plight of the poor, right? We don't know the the fear and the marginalization and the hopelessness and the shame that people encounter on a day in and a day out basis. I'm going to read this quote from his book and I'm going to close with this. He says, privileged people can have a hard time sympathizing with those who have no idea what it feels like to be privileged. 
We can be incredibly naive about the plight of the poor and the unique pressures that the poor encounter every single day. For example, I recently heard a report that 60% of abortions in America involve a a mother who lives below the poverty line. Usually the father has disappeared from the picture as well. Poor conditions often breed poor choices, right? And most of us don't understand that. Most poor people cannot control their conditions. And then I love this. He says, my friend Darren Patrick, who is an Acts 29 pastor in St. Louis and a lover of baseball says, it's naive to give yourself credit for hitting a triple if you were born on third base. He said, it's also equally naive to expect a person who was born in the parking lot to get to third base without your help. The truth is, everyone in this room is in the world. We have been given incredible wealth and resources. And most of us, like we, we tend to think that we got there by our own ingenuity and our own strength. We are where we are because God has allotted our times and our boundary places so that we can see people come to know him. He's given us the resources and the intellect and the gifts that he's given us to see Jonesboro come more and more to reflect the kingdom to come. Right. So we don't want to be those kinds of people that that are so isolated from people that we just kind of go about our everyday ordinary lives with no thought about what's going on in the rest of our city. I I mean, I would encourage you. To, to take time to think and take time to pray, take time to drive around our city and witness the brokenness and let that stir you and begin to pray, right? Because as you do that, you're going to get in touch with God's passion, right? He died for nothing less than to see people come to know him. He died for nothing less than for us as his people to begin to reflect him in some real ways. Right? I said last week that, that renewal is a long-term proposition. It is a long-term proposition, but it also is a certainty because Jesus Christ is alive. And everywhere that he's proclaimed, life will ensue. And so let us be a group of people that trust fully and wholly in Jesus Christ who is alive. And to see his plan for Jonesboro come to pass. Let's pray.